Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. I'm doing a deep dive in uh, to the beginning chapters of Genesis on Wednesday nights, and so tonight I want to look at, at Genesis 8, not necessarily a chapter that you look at uh, very often, um, but again, it's, it, it, it's all part of an important narrative that, that God is, is giving the people of Israel. You know, they, they, they've come out of, of Egypt, and he's using Moses as his prophet to write down uh, how Israel got to where they're at. And so the first part of, of Genesis is all about, well, how did the world come about? And why is the world all sorts of messed up? And so you started in Genesis 3 with sin, with uh, the introduction of sin, the serpent tempting Adam and Eve. You, you move on to chapter 4. Within one generation, the first murder happens and, and things like that. And, and what it, it's trying to picture is that sin has so defiled the creation of God. And finally, God gets to a point where he says, I regret that I'm made man. I mean, to, to, to frustrate God to that point, I regret that I've made man. And he prepared a judgment that would destroy all flesh except one small remnant that he would put into this big boat, this big box thing. And he found one man who found favor. There was one man that God showed grace to, and that was Noah and his family. And so God gathers Noah and his family and uh, the animals that he want, was going to save into this ark. He p- created a place of refuge. And the world would then be cleansed. And the world would then start again. God would start anew. Noah would be like a new Adam. Because through him, again, humanity uh, would begin through him, his sons, uh, humanity would begin again. And then in Genesis 7, the flood began. Water from above, water from below overwhelmed the earth to the point where the water rose somewhere between 15 to 20 feet above the tops of the mountains, it, it said. Now, obviously, I think that, that the flood caused a lot of geological, geographical uh, kind of changes uh, in the world. But uh, it started, so there was 40 days and 40 nights of rain, water from below, just shooting up, water from above, coming down, covers the whole land. And any land, an air creature that was not on that ark was destroyed. And now, but here's the remnant. They're on the ark, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they are waiting. And we pick up the story in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 8. Let me, let me read verses 1 through 5. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate 
until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, I want you to notice something. At, at the beginning of this chapter, it, it says that God remembered Noah. And, and we read that, and it might freak us out for a minute. Because, maybe, well, honestly, that might not be the best English translation. Because normally, when, when we see the word remembered, well, if you remembered something, that means you forgot something. That's what we normally, you know, kind of make that connection. You know, I forgot something, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it just popped right back in my brain. Now, when we, when we reference that to humans, I mean, we don't have that much of a problem with that because we have all forgotten something. I mean, we've all, we've, uh, I've forgotten things in the oven and burned it. I have forgotten meetings that I set up and I forgot to put it in my phone. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, where are you? Well, I'm definitely not where I'm supposed to be, I guess, because I forgot. And then, you know, some remembers. You, you, you expect forgetfulness from humans. But then you hear this word remember, and, you, and it's connected with God, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. God isn't supposed to forget. And then all of a sudden remember something. So we don't have to worry. That's not what the term means in the Bible when it's referring uh, to God. Because God never forgets. I mean, he's omniscient. He knows all things. Now, sometimes in our lives, we might feel like we're forgotten, that we have been forgotten by God. I would think Noah would have felt forgotten after a while. I mean, here he is. He's in this big box. He's taking care of all these animals. I mean, they were tossed around for 40 days. And, and now, you know, they've been floating for another 150 days, if that's the way it's read. I don't know if the 40 days is part of that, 150 days. Sometimes, sometimes in this flood account, it's hard to keep track of the, you know, what, you know, the calendar just seems to be all over the, over the place. It's hard to follow. But either way, here, they, they have been in this boat, in this box, in this ark, for five to seven months, somewhere in, in there. Just surviving. Getting tossed to and to and fro. So, you know, for after five or seven months, yeah, it might be easy to think, yeah, I, I have been forgotten. God, I think, has forgotten about me. But that's not what the word means. When God is a subject, when this word, you see this word, remember, in the Old Testament um, especially, it, it, it speaks of God turning his attention towards someone with whom he made a promise and he acts on their behalf. And so it's like, you know, God didn't forget about them, but it's just, okay, now it's time. It's time for the next step. God turns his attention, you know, because he, he made this covenant with, with Noah. He made, he made this promise. He's going to preserve everyone uh, on this ark. He's going to begin anew in his creation with all the, uh, these humans and animals on, on uh, on this ark. Well, now the time has come, and God is actively going to get that ball rolling. And so first, the waters kind of have to go, go away. You know, the waters have to kind of abate, disappear, go down. I mean, God wasn't creating this new uh, water planet or something like that, you know. 
Man wasn't going to all of a sudden turn into a fish or a mermaid or, you know, something like that and live in the water. The waters had uh, to go away. They needed dry land again. And so, and so it, it says, okay, now the water started slowly receding. You know, it says in there in verse 1 that, that God caused this wind to blow uh, on the earth. Uh, you know, the process of evaporation started up again. The waters started trickling back down into their underground caverns so it says you know it talks about well okay there was no more rain the rain had stopped and 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 all that it wasn't no more water was being added to it but then you know god started the process of okay we're taking the waters down all of land and air life was killed was destroyed and so uh you know in verse four you can you see this picture it tells us that uh, seven months and 17 days into the, after the flood had started, uh, the ark came to rest on a mountain. They call it Ararat. And so, I mean, obviously there was a whole lot of progress made. If, if the waters were about 15 to 20 feet above the tops of the waters, well, now, I mean, it's down far enough for the, for the ark to rest on a mountain. And so the, the waters were starting to disappear. Start, waters were starting to go away. Now, you know, it talks about Mount Ararat. And some Bible scholars are quick to assume that it's talking about these mountains that are in Turkey. You may, you may have heard that before, but the, the Bible doesn't give us any sort of geographic connection. And, and so... You know, the names might be the same, but we don't know if that was the name of it back then. Uh, so now, there's not a whole, not a lot of geographical places that have the same name now that did back then. So Mount Ararat might not refer to the mountains that are in, uh, in Turkey. You know, you may have heard this thing a few years ago. Oh, we found Noah's Ark. You know, we were flying over the Mount Ararat, and oh, yeah, we saw... Noah's Ark, they still haven't produced any sort of photo of that. So you got to be careful when you hear things like that, you know, that we're, we're quick to jump on, oh, somebody said that they found something that, that is talked about in the Bible. Well, yeah, there, there, there have been a lot of archaeological finds that have confirmed the Bible, but we can't just jump at everything. We got to be a little discerning uh, about that. Um, but just know this, this is a true story, this happened. And, uh, but more than likely, Noah's Ark has not been found. And neither has the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones notwithstanding. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember when I was a kid, and I, my dad said, we were going to go see Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm thinking, you know, I didn't have any real connection to the Ark of the Covenant, so I'm thinking Noah's Ark. Oh, he's going to find Noah's Ark. Nope, wrong Ark. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The waters are receding. The, this ark rests in some mountains. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Uh, verses 6 through 12 of Genesis 8. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. 
But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. And she did not return to him anymore. So again, trying to follow the, the chronology and the timeline of this. But if I'm understanding this correctly, after 40 days since the mountaintops reappeared, you know, Noah was interested in the prog how things were progressing. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem that God had given him any revelation. And they, they didn't have like portholes on the side of this thing where you could just look out and, okay, what's, what's going on out there? Because it had to be, had to be tight. It had to be watertight. And, and so there weren't a whole lot of openings in the ark. But there seems to have been this, one, this window that was toward the, the top or like on the roof or something along those lines. And so, you know, they might have used it to look out and, and look at the stars because, you know, they could somewhat tell where they are or where they were going, you know, by the stars. They, back then, they didn't have navigation equipment. It's not like they had a sonar or anything, you know, figure out radar or whatever the other. Obviously, I'm not very nautical. Whatever, whatever boats used to know where they are and where they're going, they didn't have GPS or nothing like that. So, you know, they had to use the stars, figure out where they were and where they were going and, 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 and things like that. And, and Noah trusted in the providence of God, but he, he was in, just interested in the progress of things. He couldn't see what, really what was going on outside, and so he enlisted the help of some of the animals that were on. You know, might, might as well put them to work. And so he, first he enlisted the help of this raven, and ravens, can, can go for long distances without rest. And so maybe we could say that the raven was the, I don't know, long-distance reconnaissance for Noah. See if there was any land anywhere far off uh, that w where they'd be able to, you know, or they'd be able to get off or, you know, see if there was enough land showing. Anyway, he sent the raven, and, you know, the raven would come back. But then he also used a, a, a dove. Now, doves... Uh, can't fly very far, and so, you know, he was, I guess, using the dove for short-distance reconnaissance or, or something. See what was going on. Sent the dove off. The dove came back right almost right away, you know, so there was no land, uh, usable land very near, and so waited seven days. Sent the dove off again. The dove came back. This time had, had, had an olive leaf. So that showed that vegetation was coming back, that life was coming back. So, uh, you know, they kind of needed that for food and stuff. So vegetation w w was coming back. And then, um, you know, I sent the dove off again, and the, d the dove uh, didn't return, meaning that the dove found enough land area uh, to, to feel like it, was safe to feel like it could could live so no one knew then that these floodwaters receded enough uh, to sustain life and so we pick up in in verse 13 
It says, in the 601st year on the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families uh, from the ark. Now verse uh, 13 gives us a date that's a little less than a year after the uh, the floodwaters began, before the, the rain and the storm um, began. And they're, they're using Noah's birth date, birthday as the um, chronology there. If you're wondering, you know, 601st year, 601st year of what? Well, it was Noah's 601st uh, year. So they're uh, it's using Noah as kind of the, the day, uh, kind of the calendar, I guess. Noah was the calendar. And, and, and it says that the face of the ground was dry, which meant that the water levels were returning back to, to normal. Again, I mean, a lot of the topography probably had changed. And who, who knows what it did to the sea levels and things like that. But then, you know, it finally, the waters returned where they would kind of remain. But the, the land wasn't quite yet ready to receive I I inhabitants because it took another two months before they left the ark. And so they had to wait for the ground to dry out. I mean, yeah, the water levels may have finally evened out wherever they, they were going to be. But it was, the, the ground wasn't ready to live on yet. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of rain for my, for my yard to be so soaked. I'm, I'm walking through my yard, and I just kind of, you know, sink, sink right in. I mean, imagine all that time with water on, uh, on the ground. Um, so it had to, had to dry out enough. But what I, I like about Noah is that you notice that Noah just doesn't merely leave the ark because he thinks it's safe, you know? Okay, the, the, the dove didn't come back all right everybody out um i mean he was probably anxious to to get out after all that time i mean you thought that you had uh that you had cabin fever at the beginning of covid when we were all told stay home well imagine being on that boat for almost for over a year the cabin cabin fever that they would have experienced but noah he did what was almost near impossible, I think, for people to do. He waited. He actually waited on God. He actually waited on God's timing. I mean, okay, wow, that, the, the dove brought back a leaf, and then all of a sudden the dove didn't come back. All right, let's, we're out of here. Come on, let's go. Uh, but he didn't, he, he didn't get ahead of God. He waited until God said, Okay, now it's time. And God does. He, he calls Noah and all the ark's inhabitants to come forth. He provided them shelter through the storm, and now they were safe to renew the world. And um, 
you know, again, this is a picture pointing toward uh, Christ. You know, this is intentional. This picture that that is shown, it's, it's intentional. Jesus Christ is our refuge who protects us from the rightful justice of God. But Christ doesn't only save us from something. Christ saves us to something. We are protected and preserved for what will eventually be the final renewal of all creation. You know, God had had saved and preserved Noah and his family and all those animals for the renewal of the earth that would come. But we are being saved and protected and we are in refuge and we are secure until the final renewal comes. The day when our bodies will be renewed at the resurrection. Don't have to deal with all this stuffiness and, you know, as the seasons change and as the temperatures go up and down and all over the place and, you know, you get all stuffy. Don't have to deal with that again. We are in, in, in refuge. We are secure for that day. We're, we're secure and in refuge for the day when the heavens and the earth will be completely renewed for the eternal state. You know, there's going to come a day when Christ returns and he's going to call us forth and we are going to be in the state of eternity. Resurrected bodies, new heaven and new earth, new heavens and new earth, everything is going to be new, the final renewal that comes through Jesus Christ and God all along had been promising and had been showing pictures and types and shadows of what was to come. And Noah and the ark right here, that's a picture, that's a type, that's a shadow of what is going to come. Everything is going to be renewed. Well, let's see how the chapter ends in verses 20 through 22. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so we have the promise that God will not destroy the earth by water again. Now, he says, as long as the earth remains. But the earth is not going to remain like it is forever. When Christ returns, you know, whether Peter in his epistle, whether he's talking about just everything being destroyed by fire and just something new coming, or whether it's talking about a refining fire where God just renews everything. I'm not overly sure, but but things are not going to remain the same forever. When Christ returns, it will change to whatever the eternal state is going to be, however that is all going to work. But I want you to notice something about Noah here that is hopefully is convicting to me and maybe convicting to you. Because, okay, here you are for over a year, you have been cooped up in this big box with your family. I mean, 
You're cooped up in a big box with your family for a year. God, God bless my family for being cooped up with me. Man, they, being cooped up with me for a year, that'd be impossible. So you're cooped up, can't go anywhere. You're finally free. What's the first thing that you do when you're finally free? I mean, do you throw a party? you go bowling? I mean, what do, you, what do you do? What do you do with your newfound freedom? What did Noah do? What did Noah do? He is, he is free. He can go out and run around and, and do whatever. But what does he do? He builds an altar. The first thing Noah does getting off that boat is worship God. God had just spared him and his family, and, and I mean, he, God kept them through the storm, and his first reaction is worship. You know, to me, that's somewhat the essence of Purple Sunday. I mean, it should be the essence of every Sunday, and honestly, it should be the essence of, of every day. But you know, on Purple Sunday, we, we say we mark that off just to remember everything that God has done for us. And that should be our reaction when God does stuff for us. When we recognize that God does stuff for us, we worship. That's our reaction. God has done great things for everybody. And so we worship Him. God has protected and He has provided. And so we worship Him. That's what Noah did. Noah built an altar. He offered sacrifices to God from the clean animals that were on board. You remember... It, it, it talks about, okay, there, there's, there's one pair of animals for the unclean animals, but there's seven pairs of animals for the clean animals. You know, when I was reading that, and it was talking about all the animals coming off the ark, and it was talking about the creeping things off the ark. I'm like, Noah, come on, man. You had a chance to get rid of mosquitoes. You just had, oh, I don't know what happened. They just disappeared. No, they came off the ark. And fill in the blank of whatever other creepy thing you don't like. But anyway, he had these clean animals, though. And so he sacrificed from the clean animals, offerings to God. And God, in response to worship, reiterates promises and covenant. You know, we, we have this great covenant with God through Jesus Christ. It is the new and everlasting covenant. And, and so every time that we worship, it, it, it ought to bring to remembrance what God has provided, what God has promised in this new and everlasting covenant. And, and then we go forth and we live in light of this covenant. That, that, that's given. You know, every day is a day to worship God. Every day is a day to remember. Every day gives us a chance to remember his goodness, how good he has been to us. And so why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Why? You know, we think worship is only being in a building participating in music and, and, and things like that, but there's just so many ways to worship. And every day you, you see something going on. You see God at work in your life. I mean, that's an opportunity to worship. Just, just praise him. You obviously don't sacrifice animals in doing that. You, you just praise him, recognize him. Tell him how awesome he is. And just thank, it, thank him that he remains faithful, even when we're faithless, even when we are 
I mean, Sunday morning, I'm going to be talking about forgetfulness and remembrance in, in a bit of a different context. But, I mean, every day God brings something to our attention, something to our remembrance. And so our, uh, our reaction is to praise him, to worship him. Lord, you are worthy. That's what Noah did. Noah said, Lord, you got me through this boat. You got me through this storm in this boat. And you've protected me and my family. You made this covenant with us, and we're going to replenish the earth. Yeah, you're very worthy of worship. And so we join him in that. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.